0: Hello, everyone in broadband land, and welcome to another episode of The Broadband Bunch. I'm your host, Brad Hine, and today we are on site at the Gaylord Palms Conference Center in Orlando, Florida, at the 2023 FiberConnect Conference put on by the Fiber Broadband Association. Today, I have with me Daniel Romer. Daniel, could you introduce yourself to our audience, please? Yes, thank you, Brad. Um, So I'm Daniel
1: Romer. I'm the sales director at Sterlite, or STL, uh, based in Columbia, South
0: Carolina. So, is this your first time to Fiber Connect? No, this would be my fourth. Time. Oh, okay. Nice. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. Um, so is this uh consecutive years or over the last many or Yeah, we've been at the last 4.
1: Um, I will say they get bigger and better every year. So, I think we're up to 4,000 registrants now and it's uh, it's amazing to see. Yeah, it's a bit um it's a bit out of control, I feel like this year, but uh, but I love it, you know. The booths are wild, people are going crazy, but it's uh, it's still manageable. We're good.
0: And I saw your booth doing my normal morning run-through. I was walking through all the aisles, and I saw the Sterlite STL booth, and uh, it was awesome. It's bright and shinier more than most booths out there.
1: Yeah, we, <laughs> our marketing guy, Shivam, did a great job. This is his first big trade show in the U.S., so I know he was nervous, but he, he pulled it off.
0: So um, we'll just, just get down to it. Tell us a little about Sterlite and uh, what they're currently doing in the space right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Sterlite has a 30-year history of making communication cables. It started with copper, and then it branched into fiber, uh, both bare fiber and uh, fiber cable. And uh, our journey to the US, we're about three and a half years in. I joined the company back in April 2020, and uh, we saw a big need in the market for more supply, and we were able to jump into that hole and, uh, and fill it up. So we supply fiber cable. Um, we make the, ca- the fiber ourselves, we make the cable ourselves, and we're Actually one month away from the grand opening of our factory in South Carolina.
0: Oh congratulations yeah and I, as I was mentioning to you earlier today I I had a chance to speak to Ty in your booth and uh, but you uh, and he was telling us of you know opening up in South Carolina, but you mentioned a little bit more of the history and kind of where you guys have come from and this is a this is a truly a global company. can you give you give me a little bit of that? Yeah, absolutely so our parent company is um, based in
1: Mumbai, India. And it all started with uh, as a mining company. And we had copper mines and silica mines, and then they needed to do something with the raw materials. So that's how the copper cable and the fiber cable was born. Um, and today we're still in over 100 countries. We have factories in five different countries. We're truly a global supplier of cable. So
0: where is... Uh, you know, obviously, if you started in Mumbai... Um, where did you evolve to, what continents and countries, and kind of in what order? Kind of give us a little bit of that timeline.
1: Yeah, so over the last 30 years, um, Sterlite has been the cable and fiber provider in India, in the home base. Okay. Um, over the years, it expanded to the Middle East, Africa. Um, then Europe became one of the major markets. And over the years, the company's been in and out of North America based on um, the cyclical market. If it was a high cycle and there was need for additional cable... Sterlite would come and import some of the cable, but then three and a half years ago, they really made the conscious decision to be here and transform to that domestic supplier that we are going to be today with the factory here, and that's uh, that's been a fun journey.
0: Great, great. So being in the U.S. or in North America and setting up shop here in South Carolina, um, strategically, what does that mean to Stirlight? Like How does your product differentiate itself from the rest of the industry? If, Fiber's fiber, right? But everyone makes it just a little bit different. So, you know, what's that uniqueness that you guys supply to the market?
1: Yeah, setting up shop in the US was, was a major goal for our company and a massive milestone. Um, I'm I'm not sure that I would say fiber is fiber, especially the glass itself. There's a lot of technology and um, intelligence behind it. And for us to be able to cable it here in the US and bring our global supply chain, our global experience, and really that, that global footprint to the local markets in, in the U.S. is massive. I think we've all seen during COVID what the supply chain did and mm-hmm. how it broke and the disruptions it caused. Mm-hmm. And for us to be able to cut out the whole ocean transit and make everything local, create jobs in America and build products here for the local market is, is great.
0: Uh, uh, about how large are you then um, in the U.S. and then globally at this point, like yeah. in size of uh, employees? So,
1: the employee number—I think we're around two thousand, okay. but I, I could be off. As far as revenue, we're a billion-dollar company globally. Fabulous! And in the U.S., we have uh, we've double-digit market share now uh, after three years of being here.
0: Right. So, and you—we spoke about that a little earlier. So, only been here three years, and. Tell us a little bit about that journey and how much you've been able to grow this business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when I started, we had a couple big customers in uh, Latin America mm-hmm. and a couple in the US, but there was not a whole business behind it. So we were I was brought in, uh, we brought some other people, and the idea was really to fill a void in the market. I mean, back in 2020, uh, COVID was just starting, but also the market was at an all-time high. So there was a lot of supply chain disruptions, The domestic guys couldn't keep up with lead times. Customers were really asking for people to step in and help. So we saw that hole in the market. We were able to step in that hole, um, work with good quality products, steady lead times, and and partnerships were born
0: there. That's great. You know, um, how how is that actually shaping up? You know, is are we is supply line healing? Is it healed? Are we see certain parts that are healed? What's your experience now? Well, it's a funny question.
1: Um, I'm speaking tomorrow on the state of the industry at the Fiber Theater. And the weirdest thing has happened. The market has come down 45% in the last four months. Um, So we went from a record high to a crash that resembles the dot-com bubble in the late 90s, early 2000s. -hmm. What happened Mm -hmm. is there was a lot of inventory buildup and overbuying by pretty much everybody from the big guys to the small guys to contractors. Everybody had nine to 12 months of inventory with raising, raw rising interest rates, um, some loosening of the su- or supply chain with COVID, um, be getting better, the pandemic going away. It was kind of the perfect storm of people stopping to buy or stop buying more products. So that's where we are now. Lead times have come from 80 weeks to four to six weeks. Wow. The difference with the dot-com bubble is that this is temporary. It's not going to last three years like that one, that, that recession did. This is going to be another six, nine months maybe, and we're going to be back to... 40 plus weekly times because we know there's going to be so much money out there to build networks and everybody is still building today that as soon as the inventory is burned through, we're back to where we were.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good news. It's good to know that uh, uh, we're healing and we're getting past that. Um, Talk a little bit about, I know you guys have some new products. You have, um, I said fiber is fiber earlier. I'm glad you corrected me because I want to know all that technology that's built into that, that differentiates you at each layer of that fiber cable. But um so tell us a little bit about um some of the innovation you guys are doing and with this new product, what kind of um what kind of needs that brings to the market to solve some of the challenges that maybe your customers are having. Yeah, and I mean I think the the state when you had the
1: fibrous fiber or cables cable is something a lot of people think and mm-hmm. and believe in. And to a point that may be the case, but when you drill down to it, even within fiber, there's a lot of different specs uh, within the industry, there's different grades. You can have the standard 652D that everybody knows, mm-hmm. but then you have the 657A1, which is a more bend insensitive fiber, which means it's easier to work with. So what we have done since day one is we standardized on the bend insensitive fiber. So the craft people in the field, they have more room for error. If they put a small band in the cable, the fiber is more forgiving, it's easier to work with, and you're not gonna get penalized in your network performance. So that's one thing we're very big on, and we're gonna continue doing that. As far as the cable, you have a lot of different designs, families, fiber counts, the way, how you make it, how you deploy it. And the biggest challenge we're seeing right now, and Fiber Broadband Association has done a ton of research on this, is in order to meet Biden's promise to have 100% of the homes connected by 2030, this country needs about 1.5 million installers and splicers. We currently have about 700,000, maybe 800,000. So that means, First of all, there's a labor shortage. Mm-hmm. Second of all, the people that are going to place the cable are going to be new to the industry, new to the craft, probably mm-hmm. not trained as well. The splice with 30 years of experience mm-hmm. that that is not out there anymore. So what we can do as a supplier is make the product as easy to work with as possible. So what okay. that means is smaller cables, easier jackets or easier products to open up and get into, more forgiving fiber. So the people that are in the field that no- don't have experience... They don't have to be as good as they might have had to be 10 years ago.
0: So that's going to lead me to another question to kind of start peeling these onion skins back. So education, uh, how much do you have to invest in, in education to um, companies that become your customers at this point then? A lot. Um,
1: the, the sale doesn't end at the order and delivery. You really <laughs> have to be on site and walk them through it. Um, every Cable supplier has small little nuances to their cable, how to work with it, how to prep it. But more than anything, it's, it comes down to experience. So we want to be there with the customer, make sure they feel supported. If there are issues, we're gonna be there to walk them through it and show them how it's used. Because at the end of the day, if you if you don't do that, people are gonna run into issues just due to a lack of experience.
0: Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, we we see a lot of that. I see a lot of um, making sure education is forefront for the whole industry and making sure. Um, as this generation of fiber broadband workers and employees, the workforce across the country starts to retire, that we make sure that we don't skip a beat, we don't miss anything, and folks are educated and can get right back on the horse, so to speak, and start supporting all that fiber. Um, do you see that growing anymore? I mean, at this point, um, I like to hear that uh, there's some handholding going on afterwards. And I see it, especially a lot of these rural deployments. I mean, people are coming from a different industry, the electrical industry or um, telephone co op systems, and all of a sudden they're in charge of this high speed fiber network. Mm-hmm. So clearly, you know, on the deployment of all this, you guys are going to be needed right up front for, uh, for this continuing education.
1: Yeah, and it really is a big problem. And in just today alone, we spoke to a couple of end users, a couple of our competitors, other suppliers, and everybody's doing the same thing. They're working with local community colleges. They're trying to educate, say, Mm. guys, it's not a sexy field, but it's an important field. There's jobs for you for the next 30 years. Mm -hmm. Pay is very good. Um, Please come learn a trade. The problem is, or the challenge is, I guess, that if you look at the broadband or the infrastructure funding that's out there now, broadband is part of it, but so are railroads and highways. So you're not only competing, you're competing with that, they're competing with other trades that are just as much despair as the telecom industry is but mm-hmm. so there's a lot of competition for a very small labor or interest pool because nobody wants to seem to want to learn this today and this is a problem that needs to be solved and the fba is doing a ton of educating and training on this so there's definitely a lot of strides being made but i think we're still far from where we need
0: to be wow wow I know we're getting there and it's a step-by-step process. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into this industry or, you know, obviously it's very highly technical field. How did you get hooked onto the, the technical side early on? I think like most people, it was an accident and now I'm trapped, <laughs> but
1: it's, um, I went to school for sport management. Oh, okay. And then I moved to Columbia, South Carolina, a city with no professional sports. Right. And through some context, I happen to know, I ended up at um, a, a, the largest cable manufacturer in the world, rolled into the telecom industry, and spent seven years there, uh, kind of learning the ropes and uh, going from customer service to outside sales and understanding networks and the need. And once you're in it, it's a very interesting industry. There's so much happening. It's very dynamic. And right now we're in a once-in-a-lifetime cycle with $45 billion of pri- or public investment. Mm-hmm. There's private money everywhere. Everybody is building. And broadband has really become a utility that people need and want. And next to power is one of the mo- more important things people care about when they, when they pick out a house or where they're going to live. And I think COVID has exposed a lot of that. Right. So this, it's been very, very interesting. And I still learn every day. It's a lot of fun.
0: It's interesting. And I've said this before, maybe once or twice on the podcast, but being living in the Southeast, like I do similar to South Carolina, um, you might in in the winter, you might go without gas heat for a couple of days and you put a blanket on, you wait for them to come fix your gas line. Um, even the water utility, I can go to the grocery store and buy 10, 20 gallons of water. If I need it, Mm -hmm. if something's happening with my water line, um, my broadband, if it's down for 15 minutes, Every member of my family is yelling and screaming through the house. So, <laughs> I got two boys, six and four, and you would think that age doesn't matter, but nope. Within two minutes,
1: as the internet is out, the Netflix doesn't work, or Disney doesn't work, you hear about it, and it, it's even so bad that we went from having fiber to the house to living in a place where we didn't have fiber. We had uh, DSL, and then back to fiber. The difference is real, and you don't realize it until you actually live through it. But having that. Fiber connection that it always works, whether it's storming outside, like now where every day there seems to be thunderstorms, yeah. it always works. And it's it, it's hard to live without it. It's crazy to say, but it's really almost impossible.
0: Yeah, agreed. I think, um, you know, we we talked about COVID and how we needed connectivity, um, the kids to their schools and healthcare and, uh, you know, remote jobs and working. But even today, the capacity and all the different devices we're, we're feeding at home. It just doesn't work unless you have high speed. And plus kids are still required to do remote work where they have to have connectivity at home, even though they're going into class every day too. Yeah. I mean, even my,
1: my six-year-old has um, tablets to take at home to do work on after school or if, if the teacher can come and you have to e learning for a day and this all started during COVID. And it was funny this morning uh, during one of the keynote speeches, somebody asked, who here has more than fifty devices connected in their house? And you look around; there are only a couple of hands go up. And I, I checked on my phone; I got one hundred and eighty-three devices. And I, I don't think it's anything crazy, but it's alarm systems, TV, tablets, phones, right? It's everything from little sensors to dishwashers and fridges. Yeah, people don't understand how much is connected
0: today and how much bandwidth that eats up. You're right. You're right. I think I, I had called in to my provider, and we have fiber in my little area in Atlanta, but. And they mentioned how many devices I had online. They said, "Well, you currently have 57 devices online." And I thought, "I think it's more than that, isn't it?" More? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um. So, um, you're not an, you're not originally from the U.S. I noticed a little accent. Tell us tell us about where you're from and how how you grew up. Yeah, I was born and
1: raised in the Netherlands in Amsterdam. Um, lived there for the first 18 years of my life. Mm-hmm. Then I came to the U.S. um for a study abroad program. Mm-hmm. And my mom told me don't fall in love, and she shouldn't have said anything. My second semester, i uh, I did, and we're now married. So I stayed, finished my school here, and got married to her. And now we
0: have two little boys and live in Colombia. So I'll be here for a long, a long time. Wow, wow. So uh, back in Europe, do you still have ties back in Europe? Is there are there? ongoing reports. Obviously, you guys are a global company. So how does the situation in Europe compare to what it's like in the US right now in in terms of connectivity, rural areas? How is that working? Yeah. So Europe is, I would
1: say, ahead of North America when it comes to um, fiber deployment. They have way more homes connected, but it's also way more densely populated, right? right? There's bigger urban areas, not as much rural. I think if you look at the US, the urban areas are pretty well built out. The last 50% we're trying to connect now is a lot of rural networks, smaller towns, farms, stuff like that. Um, so they're ahead of that. But there's a lot of investment going on there. So the European market is still at an all-time high. Um, it's still constrained. And just like we see labor issues here, they see labor issues there. They're, right. I was talking to somebody today that they're flying in installers from Scotland to work in Germany. It's stuff you could never imagine. But it's, uh, it's all of the same challenges.
0: Wow. Wow. So you mentioned a little bit ago your session tomorrow that you'll be speaking. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about what you're going to be speaking about? You gave us the title, but give us something to grow on. So maybe the next time we speak, we can, you can update us on some of this too. Yeah, it's very quick. It's a 15 minute session. It's really just giving the
1: state of the union for the, or the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully I can, my competitors and, and counter suppliers can walk away feeling more hopeful and the customers walk away feeling a little more warned with what's to come. Um, I really do think that this lull has everything everybody kind of comfortable. Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen, what happens every time, is that people are going to wake up one day, inventory's been burned through, they're used to four-week lead times, and they're all going to call at the same time. And lead times will go from four to six weeks to 20 to 40 overnight. And luckily, as a supplier in, in the cable world, we have a lot of insight to a lot of good data research by cru jc jones a lot of people doing a lot of good work so we see what's coming we see the builds are still happening it's really just an inventory position issue so this market is poised to explode again and i hope all my
0: customers listen because it's gonna be uh they'll they'll be headed to curve if they do (laughs) well amen amen uh so as we wind this episode down for the broadband bunch um if Our listeners want to get in touch with you or with Sterlite STL. Can you let them know how to do that?
1: Yeah, the easiest way would uh, would be to go to the website, www.stl.tech, T-E-C-H. All the contact info is
0: on there. They can email, call, reach out, and then uh, we'll get back to them. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, from everybody at Broadband Bunch, I appreciate you coming by to talk to us. Like I said, I'm going to hold you to it. We definitely want to update sometime in the future to chat with you again and see how your year is going. As the bead money comes out and gets assigned, I'd love to check back with you and, and see your perspective on the industry. Absolutely, I'd be happy to. Well, thanks again, Daniel. Have a great show. Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye.